portion of God's word that we will focus our attention on for a few minutes this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Thinking he was in their company. Those words always got to me when I was younger. How could Mary and Joseph think Jesus was in their company and travel on for a day before they realized that he was not actually with them? I didn't understand it. How could that happen? Until it happened to me. I think I've told this story to, to many of you before. But when we were still living in Laramie, we took the family to a movie one day. We had five kids at the time, and Melissa was pregnant with our sixth, and we were leaving the theater, and she took a quick pit stop, and I was taking the kids to the car, and everyone was with me. They were all right there. And off to the car we went, and I'm buckling the little ones in, and I reach over to Julietta's seat to, to buckle her in, and no Julietta. I thought she was in my company the whole time. I thought she was right there. I had no idea she wasn't there at all until it dawned on me she wasn't there. Now, thankfully, I turned around and I saw her reaching up her little hand to grab Melissa's hand as they walked out of the theater. It couldn't have been more than 10 minutes or 10 seconds between the moment that I realized she wasn't there until the moment I saw her again. Very brief amount of time. But the next time I, I studied this text to preach on it, that popped into my head immediately. And I started thinking to myself, man, I, I was panicking, but only for 10 seconds. Can you imagine what was going through Mary's mind and Mary's heart? Not just for a day, not just for two days, three days. It took three days to find Jesus. 
It's just a little detail in our text, right? Three days later, they find him. But, but can you imagine that? The panic? Searching for him? We, we get a little insight into their emotion when they do find him. We're told that Mary and Joseph were astonished. What does that mean? They were astonished. I did a little digging into that word. It, it could also mean overwhelmed. I wonder if that's almost a better translation to describe what Mary and Joseph are experiencing during these three days and then when they find him, they are just bubbling over with this strange cocktail of emotions that they probably never experienced before. A little bit of joy, a little bit of frustration, a little bit of relief, maybe a little bit of anger. All sorts of overwhelming thoughts and emotions bubbling over in this moment where they finally find their, their son. We see right away Mary points the finger at Jesus. Son, how could you do this to us? It's a common reaction, I think, when, when a parent loses a child. I, I was in a similar place. I was very quick to point the finger at everyone else. To the older siblings, how could you not keep your eye on your little sister? To my wife, why couldn't you just wait till we got home? It's easy in that moment to point that finger of blame at everyone else for what's really your own, your own failure. I temporarily misplaced a, a blessing from God. One of my, my blessings, my children, every child is a blessing. But for Mary, maybe it was a step higher because... Her child was no ordinary child, but the son of the living God, the savior of the world, the one on whom the, the hope of every single nation on earth was resting. You can imagine that was a stressful responsibility as a mother to know that your son is the savior of the whole world. And she lost him. Do you think she felt like a failure? Do you think she felt unworthy of the task that had been given to her? I think so. That's something I can relate to, and I think that's something you can relate to also. Our failures in any role that God has given to us, whether it's husband, father, wife, mother, employer, employee, son, daughter, student, whatever the role is that God has given to you, maybe many of them, if you fail in any way, there's this sense of unworthiness that, that floods us. And oftentimes when we feel the, the weight of our sins the most, when it presses down on us and we feel like failures, we feel unworthy, that's when we crave peace. And we often look for it in the wrong places. I'm not a big fan of allegory when studying the scriptures and preaching on it, but sometimes pictures jump out in the text that are just too good to pass up. Mary and Joseph look for their son Where? First among the crowd, the relatives, the friends, the people. Don't find them there. And they look for Jesus in the city, in the places that they had gone. Don't find him there either. Where do they find him? In the Word. So often when we are down in the dumps, when the weight of our sin presses down, 
We look for the peace that only Jesus can bring in all the wrong places. If I could just spend a little more quality time with my family, everything would be better. If I could just visit the places that I enjoy the most, maybe go to the city, go to the, to the beach, go to the cabin. If I could just get to the place where I know I'm usually the most relaxed, then, then I'll feel the peace that I'm seeking. But you don't find the peace that only Jesus can bring by spending time with your family. You don't find it at the cabin. You don't find it in the city. You don't find it on the beach. You only find Jesus in the word. It's the only place that this peace that can satisfy our failures and our feelings of unworthiness can be found. Jesus says to to Mary and Joseph, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It's interesting, Jesus doesn't actually use the word house. It's a word that shows, it's pointing to something belonging to the Father. It's, it's a pronoun pointing to something of the Father. So you have to kind of be a little artistic as you render it. Literally, you could say, didn't you know it was necessary for me to be in the things of my Father? In my Father's house, in my Father's word, in my father's business, didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be doing this? This thing related to my father in his house? Didn't you know that? It's interesting, earlier in the text, as we're giving the context, we're told that Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover as was their custom. Once a year. For about 1,500 years at this point, God's people had been celebrating the Passover year after year after year. And you remember what the Passover was all about, right? Maybe the Charlton Heston movie is coming to mind, the the Ten Commandments, and and you're thinking of the different plagues and how it plays out, right? There's an importance to that. The first plague happens. And Pharaoh says, okay, 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 you can go. Just take the plague away. And Moses tells the Lord, and the Lord takes the plague away. And then Pharaoh changes his mind and says, no, 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 you can't leave, you have to stay. And this happens nine times. Let my people go. No. Plague. Okay, you can leave. Remove the plague. No, you can't leave. Nine times. And then the Lord says, I'm going to send a plague that will make Pharaoh wish he had let you leave. The angel of death is going to pass over the land of Egypt. And every firstborn male, both livestock and humans, will die. In every single household. Including the Israelites. Unless. Unless the head of that house takes one one-year-old male lamb and sacrifices that lamb and then takes the blood of that lamb and paints it on the doorframe over the entrance to the house. 
And then you are to take the, the meat of that animal to roast it, to prepare it. You're to serve it to your family and you're to eat with your sandals on and your robes on and your belt. You're ready to go. Because after you eat this meal tonight, this very night, you will be set free from slavery in Egypt. You will leave. I think a lot of times when we think of that account, maybe it's a, a general understanding that we have all the way back to, to Sunday school class. Maybe it's a, a caricature as, as represented in that movie. But when we think of that account, I, I think most of the time we think that the firstborn died in all the houses of Egypt, but not in the house of the Israelites. They were spared. It's not really true. There was a death in every home. That lamb, that sacrificial lamb was the death in the home of every Israelite family. And don't you think that was lost on the mother and the father of each Israelite home as they walked out of that door and stepped foot on their journey to freedom? Because as they turned around and saw the blood of that lamb on the door and then saw their little son with them, in their company, alive and well and laughing and excited to go to leave this life of slavery, they knew the reason that son was still alive was because God provided a lamb. A lamb that would take the place of their son. Do you think that was lost on those mothers and fathers year after year after year after year as they celebrated the Passover in the desert? Remembering one year ago when we left Egypt, two years ago when we left Egypt, three years ago when we left Egypt as they gathered around to eat another lamb? Do you think that was lost on the mother and father? Do you think it was just a ritual? Do you think it was just a custom? That's what we do every morning. We get up and we read our Bibles or maybe in the evenings. or so we do every week on Sundays. We go to church. We listen to God's word. It's what we do once a year. We gather for Christmas. We gather for Easter. It's what we do. It's our custom. It's our habit. It's our ritual. Do you think that's what it was for the parents who realized that this lamb was the reason God spared their child? Jesus never went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover as a ritual or a custom. It was never just an excuse to go hang out with the cousins and and go on a fun vacation, go see the big city. He was going to Jerusalem for a reason. To hear the words of God, to recall the history of God's people enslaved in Egypt, just as God promised Abraham they would be, and then liberated from Egypt, just as God promised Abraham his descendants would be liberated some 400 years later, to see God promise his people that this lamb, whose blood would be painted on the doorframe, would spare their firstborn sons, to be reminded how that Passover lamb pointed ahead to him. And the only way that he could actually be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as John the Baptist would soon point and proclaim 
was if he truly was a blameless lamb of God. And that even included perfect worship. He never once took time in God's word for granted. As he went to the synagogue every week to to hear the scrolls opened and read, it was never just a thing that you do. It was always to hear the, the words and works of God. And as he made that yearly journey up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, it was never just a custom, a a tradition. It was always an opportunity to reflect on the words, the works, the promises of God that would soon be fulfilled completely in him. You see, the reason that his blood painted on a cross has spared you and me from eternal death is because his blood was innocent. Truly perfect. Our failures, our unworthiness washed away by the blood of the Lamb. And the reason that that blood was accepted as payment for the sins of not just the people in this room, but the whole world, was the simple fact that it was truly perfect. Every single moment of every day of Jesus' life, he perfectly meditated on the promises of God every week, every year, his whole life. To win forgiveness for your failures and mine for the times that we failed to appreciate God's word, for the times that we've treated opportunities to be in God's word as just the thing we do, just a custom, a regular occurrence, for all those failures, for all our unworthiness, Jesus' blood was painted on the cross so that you and I could be freed from death forever. Death and hell is not what we will experience. Jesus guaranteed it when he became the lamb who lives. When he rose from the dead to show us that sin had so thoroughly been taken care of that even its consequence, death itself, had been completely destroyed. And now he lives and rules and reigns over all things. In a few minutes, he will come to you and to me in a miraculous way that we just don't understand. Through a little piece of bread that is also the actual body of the Lamb of God. And a little cup of wine that is also the blood of the Lamb of God. The very same body and blood given and poured out for you, for me, for the forgiveness of all of our sons, of all of our sins, will be placed into our hands, into our mouths, into our hearts as we will eat and drink the very forgiveness of sins. My prayer for you is that you would leave here today as you always do after church, thankful for another opportunity to be in God's word. Not just something that you do out of habit, but an opportunity to focus on what God has done for you in the Lamb. And as you open up your Bibles this week, whether it be for a 30-second snack as you graze through a psalm, maybe for 15 or or 30 minutes as you consume a little larger meal or, or who knows, maybe you have time to sit down and read God's word for hours on end. As you spend time in God's word, may it never be just a custom, just a ritual, just something that you do regularly. May it be the, the peace of God. May you find Jesus in the only place that he can be found in the word. And may he bring you the peace that you crave each and every day this week and for the rest of your life.
May God bless us as we spend time in his word this week. Amen.